Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is Tina Busaba, investor and co-founder of Verity Venture Partners. Hi, Tina. How are you? Hi, Priya. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you, Tina. Um, You know, Tina, I think ever since I started at Glossy, you and I have, you know, been talking, have been friends. You know, I think I often lean on you for industry advice and expertise. But tell me a little bit about how you first got into beauty, because if I remember correctly, you started in banking. That's right. So I would say that my interest in beauty as a category goes back for decades. I, you know, I was a little girl who was always interested in beauty, playing with makeup, doing fashion shows, you know, cutting my Barbie's hair. It's, of course, a painful learning for children that it doesn't grow back. Um, So this has been a lifelong interest personally. However, what I also realized is that um, my talents around beauty on the creative side are not particularly strong. So also, you know, a, a challenging life lesson. I realize that for me, the, the business side of it is, is where I belong. I, I love um, the creative process and, and creators and visionaries. So this is, you know, a lifelong personal interest. Um, for, from, a, from a professional perspective, the, my first taste of the beauty business was um, when I worked at L Brands. So I was on a team called Commercialization that provided strategic support to different business units, um, including Victoria's Secret. And I got to work on um, some projects with the Victoria's Secret beauty team. And so that was, a, you know, an, an, a terrific experience, a terrific training ground. And um, what I really came to appreciate was the power of um, the, the beauty business. It's huge. It's high margin. It has historically grown faster than GDP for many, many years. Um, it has the potential for incredible loyalty. Um, It is highly emotional. Um, And so for me, that um, really piqued my interest in in the business side of uh, of the beauty space. You know, Tita, I I often ask this question to people because when I was, even being a journalist, you know, I didn't know this career existed when I, um, Mm -hmm. when I was a teenager, when I was a preteen. So, you know, when you were charting out your own career, did you really even, when did you realize that, you know, being a beauty investor, working on the business side, there were even people that worked on the business side of beauty businesses. It wasn't just all, you know, fragrance noses and, and, and designers. It was, there were people behind the scenes making the trains run on time. Of course, of course, and I've always had tremendous admiration for that, and um, got to see that up, you know, up close when when I was at VS. As an investor, um, about about half a dozen years ago, I started to see something very interesting, which was incredibly talented people from from my network were starting beauty brands, and. It, it really struck me, you know, like, what is going on here? These are people who could be doing so many things, and they're choosing to start skincare brands or fragrance brands. And so for me, as, um, as a business-focused person, I really started to dig into that um, and to try to understand what is happening in this space. Um, of course, 
uh, you know, looking back, um, it was the early days of the um, indie beauty movement, so to speak. Um, and, and you know, so much has, has happened over, you know, over that half dozen years. Um, but I, I think that I, I really came at it from a place of curiosity and really understanding you know, what is going in this space. And then, of course, seeing, you know, on the, on the demand side, this tremendous consumer interest in new, independent, emerging brands that, you know, really spoke to them with you know, very targeted audiences and strong values, value propositions, um, and values orientation. And <clears throat> so I think that I was, um, at, you know, at the time, that was before we um, formed our new firm. And so I was investing as, as an angel investor, as a strategic angel investor, so to speak. Um, and there weren't a lot of people doing that. But to me, it was very clear that there was tremendous, tremendous opportunity ahead um, in this space. What was it about Indie Beauty that surprised you? Because I know nowadays when we say indie beauty, everybody's an indie. I, I feel like there's so many brands. I, I mean, every day a new brand is coming up on TikTok or Instagram or D2C. And, you know, 10 years ago, that certainly wasn't a, wasn't the case. But what was exciting to you about those brands and what's still exciting to you about them? Yes. I think that one of the things that is most exciting to me is um, the fact that independent beauty has been an incredible vehicle for female entrepreneurship because that is something that I am very passionate about personally. And I was inspired by, you know, incredible women and and frequently other un- historically underrepresented founders starting brands in the beauty space. And so for me personally, that was something that I was really excited to get behind. Tell me a little bit about the first your first investments as an angel investor because I know some of those brands today are are quite big but you were very early on. Yes. So a couple of the early investments that I um I'm honored to have the opportunity to have invested in were brands including Volition in the skincare space, Kosas and Say in the color cosmetic space, Olive and June in the nail space, um Ellis Brooklyn in fragrance. Mented, which is a color cosmetics focused on women of color, um, and then some health and wellness brands like Ray Wellness. And, uh, you know, these are all female founded brands. They're, they're all truly Priya. They are, they are women who, when I first met them, I was just, um, so inspired. Right. And I, and I think they're, they're all, they're visionaries. And so I, um, was incredibly, um, honored to, to, you know, have been a, a, a small, a small part of the, you know, of the early journeys of, of these companies, but, you know, they're all, they're founder driven businesses. And, and that is something that I believe so strongly in. And I think it resonates really strongly with the consumer also. When you think about brands like Kosas, which is quite mm-hmm. big now and, you know, really redefined clean color at Sephora or Mented, um, which, you know, really put this edited, curated, group of cosmetics together for for women of color or all women but specifically women of color you know five or six years ago these were not the conversations that most people weren't having so do you think that that the fact that you were so early back then makes you all the more um reliable or trusted as an investor today as you as you start your new fund that is a great question and it's something that i think about a lot 
I have always been very focused and curious and intuitive around where is the consumer going next. And I I really think this, you can see this, you know, even when I was young and spending a lot of time in the mall and doing makeup and things like that, right? I've always been so curious about consumer behavior. And so I think that what I saw five to six years ago was this strong end consumer demand for brands that were unique and differentiated and really spoke to them and had um, a strong values orientation and um, felt felt special and had a strong founder story, you know, as as distinct from the legacy brands of, of the past. I think that you raise a really good point, which is, how does the future, if we think out, out, you know, this next decade, how will that look similar to or different from what has been going on over the past half dozen years? And that that's something that I think about a lot because there's no question that it's the space is much more crowded now. There are, you know, there are incredibly talented founders, but there are a, a huge amount of, you know, a huge number of them. And so that is um, a tricky thing. And so while I certainly continue to believe that consumer interest in independent brands is 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 powerful and continues and is growing i do think that um there are there are real questions in my mind about like how big can some of these brands get and we can talk about how that relates like investment strategy you know how much money they should raise and things like that um because you know the space has has certainly changed a lot over you know over the past half dozen years yeah i think that's interesting tina because you know some of the markers that you were talking about that were new and innovative you know, six or eight years ago, you know, clean, um, female founders, D to C businesses. I mean, those are all table stakes. Like you exactly. have to have all of those marks. It's table stakes. Yeah. So how do you kind of figure out which brands have it today and which brands are worth investing in? Because as a growth investor, you know, there has to be a return at the end. It's not you're you're necessarily not following the same trends as makeup's back, skincare is slowed, hair care is growing right now. I mean, yes, exits are eventually important. But yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, great question. You know, we we always have to be thinking about terminal value, right? And and in other words, like, is is this a brand um, that that um, we can see, you know, as you said, ha- having an exit at some point in the future. And I would separate that from, uh, you know, there are lots of really interesting like celebrity or creator brands that are being launched all the time. And I think that um, there's probably only a small number of them that will like ultimately be like long-term sustainable businesses. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? That's just, that's a business model, you know, like sell a bunch of products and then like see how it goes. Um, But as an investor, we really have to be focused on brands that are building for the long-term, right? And that have have a terminal value that will hopefully be captured in an exit at some point, as you say. And so uh, certainly a couple of the things that, um, that we look for one is when we're looking at brands, um, you know, we we do continue to be very, very focused on founder, and that is like a big, you know, a big a big piece of of our investment thesis, um, and um, you know, c- continues to be really important. Um, 
very, very focused also on like the brand DNA, right? And that is a, you know, a subjective thing. But like, is this really differentiated? Like, what does this stand for? Is it different from other things that are um, in that are in the market? Is it is it resonating um, with consumers? And I think that you'll probably appreciate, you know, I, I think to some degree, it's like, you know, when you see it, right? And, and it clicks. Um, and so that, you know, that is a certainly not a guarantee of success, but I think a necessary condition uh, for success. And then um, another thing that we're really focused on is what we call a customer acquisition edge, because you referenced D to C. Um, and of course, it's gotten prohibitively expensive to grow any sort of consumer brand um, just via a, a paid advertising strategy. And so we are really focused on like, does this business, does this brand have an edge in acquiring customers? Um, and that can mean different things. It, it could be that it is, um, you know, an influencer or a creator that has a built-in audience. It could be that it is um, targeting a um, a specific community um, that potentially has been underserved. Or it could be a really strong retail relationship. But like, there has to be something there um, that we think to really to really be able to 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 drive real traction. Tell me a little bit about Verity Venture Partners. Like, obviously, you've told me about what you personally are interested, Tina, and, you know, female founders having an edge with consumers, strong retail relationships. But, I mean, what what are you looking at from an investment standpoint that you think is, you know, about to be the next big thing? Yeah. So let me first give a little bit of context on um, why uh, we decided to start Very Venture Partners, and then we can talk about what we're focused on. So when I was investing as an individual, um, a, a few years into that, one of the things that started to happen was founders were saying to me, Tina, you've been our best investor. Could you lead our next round? And, you know, as a small individual investor, that was certainly not something that that I could do. But what it really started to highlight for me was the opportunity for a specialist investor that could lead deals at the early stage and truly be value add. And, you know, that's the business model of um, in consumer growth, you know, where there are a number of excellent um, firms that that know the beauty space and the consumer space inside and out, um, but much, much less so at the early stage. And when I say early stage, I mean brands that are doing roughly one to $10 million in sales. And so- I want to stop you there, Tina. Tell me yeah. why you think that is. Because like you said, consumer, the consumer space- you know, there are specialists. And you and I both know in beauty, there are so many people getting founders, you know, people who went to business school for two years and said they had an aha moment, bankers, everybody in out in the woodwork is coming to beauty and be like, I want to start a brand. Why is it that that specialty is so rarefied in a sense? So, so here's what I think has happened. I think that, um, if, if you step back and, like, look at the overall um, uh, uh, private equity landscape, um, you know, inclusive of, like, venture and growth and PE, I think that a number of the specialist, consumer specialist firms that, you know, have been started in the past, like, 10 to 20 years were extremely successful and so have, have grown a lot, you know? And so, again, it's like a business model issue, but they um, they get to a point where, you know, the minimum check size might be 
$25 million or something like that. And so what that has created, I believe, is an opportunity um, at the, you know, at the earlier stage um, for, for specialist firms. Now, I think that um, one of the one of the challenges um, when you know when you're investing in the one to ten million dollar businesses, of course, is that you have to be able to um, to scale yourself. Um, you know, because you're again, you're, you're we're writing a smaller checks. I mean, into, into probably more companies. Um, but what I found as an individual, which is what what gives me confidence in this, is I have developed. Um, I have a uh, uh, a a very um, informed perspective on the the you know the the needs of these companies right you see the same questions coming up again and again right whether it's things like what are best practices around setting up our tech stack or how should we think about building retailer relationships how should we think about negotiating this contract how should we think about building our team like i have seen many many reps on this and so that brings you know a lot of um really really like valuable experience um, as we as we build our firm now. Tell me a little bit about what you're looking at, because, you know, like we said, clean, female founded, diverse founders, you know, everybody is talking about that now. Some more than others. And some people it'll see we'll see if those are just trends. But, you know, even when I look at Sephora or Ulta today, so many of the brands that they are onboarding are very, very young brands. You know, they've been in business a year or two, which was certainly not the case even three years ago. So, you know, you may get a, a PO order from Sephora, Ulta, or Target, or but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that, you know, you are on the mark of something much bigger. So tell me what you think, Tina. Yeah. And um, I think that, so first of all, you're absolutely right that um, just launching at a retailer does not guarantee success. And these then, and also like the, the, the churn of brands at retail is, can be really high. Um, so, you know, our perspective, first of all, is like, we are long term. And so I personally, like, I don't think that it makes sense to rush a retail relationship. We would rather see a brand spend a couple of years really, uh, refining their positioning, building that pull. So when you do enter retail, you're not reliant on the retailer to drive that demand, but you have that that custom end customer pull. Like we talk about that a lot. Um and you know just building that that engagement and that connection. And so, you know, we take a really measured view of, I would say it's like the quality of growth. Um, and when we think about um, brands, so like, I'll give you an example. So we um, are investors in a company called Noto Botanics, which is an LA-based, uh, technically like a, a clean skincare with with a little bit of uh, color brand. Uh, the founder, Gloria Noto, who is extraordinary, she is a makeup artist. She is an artist. She is um, a, an activist in the LGBT community. And she has been working on this brand for a few years. So it didn't, you know, it didn't just pop up overnight. She has been steadily building it, you know, building her community, building um, the, the the product assortment. And we we got to know her over a period of time and, and you know, just were in incredibly impressed with her creative vision. And it's also, you know, a really unique in its um, 
uh, like gender neutral positioning and has just an, an incredibly high level of engagement, which you can see both like in social and, you know, also in like um, retention, really strong retention. And, and so like for us, we, and a bootstrap business. So for us, we look at that and we think like, wow, like there is an incredibly strong foundation to build on, you know? So when we, when we invested, we're, we're really thinking about it as, as, you know, a a partnership, first of all, but it is, um, it is the, the pull is already there, right? And so now you put some investment dollars into, and it's really about like amplifying that, right? Building the team, starting to invest a little bit more in marketing, which the, you know, the company hadn't done before and exploring retail. But um, we take, you know, we really take a long-term perspective on, on things like that. And so for us, like, I'm I'm much more interested in brands that look like that than brands that yes to your point like someone you know sp- spun it up in a you know business school class um, because like it's that authenticity right like you want to see that that stickiness right there's this core group of consumers who love this brand and bootstrap right so it means like I always say this if you can get to more than a million dollars in sales bootstrap something is working. Because you can't, right? You can't fake that, and so that is um, we 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 love to like to to look at and you know work with companies like that. That's so funny that you mentioned Gloria because um, she one of her first retail accounts was the was a with one of my friends' e-commerce sites of a kind, which has now since closed and and was bought by Bed Bath and Beyond. But you know, I've known about that brand for a long time, and I'm I'm wondering for you. Because that is a brand that's been building, building, buzzing, buzzing below the surface. And that is not as safe, flashy as a brand that's like, hey, I got my PO order at Sephora. I just launched six months ago, which, you know, equally, they're both important. But I'm wondering, how do you distill like building community? Because that's a very um, loose term in beauty right now. Oh, I have community. That doesn't mean a million Instagram followers or TikTok followers. Like, what does that mean to an investor and to an investor like you? Yeah, that's um, that's certainly the the right question to ask because what you are really trying to get at is is there a core group of consumers who truly love this brand? They are recommending it to their friends. They are engaging with the brand on social. They are. Um, sticky repeat purchasers. And so some of that, I think you can, um, you can get at by looking at the data, you know, and not to suggest that it's all like a data exercise, but I do think now that you can, you can much earlier, um, via, via social and, and D2C data assess like to some extent, like what's going on here, um, and so that that is something that that we focus on. But I would say equally important, there's an overlay with driven by like intuition, right? And like you know, you, you sort of like I said, you kind of like you know getting at like you know when you see it, um, and 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 so I think that we're it's an art and a science, I think. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that that's, you can appreciate that. Um, but that's, that is how we're approaching it. And I would, to loop back to the, the first point that you were making, I agree with you that um, there isn't one playbook. And so as we think about building our um, portfolio, there will be some brands that look like Noto, right? That have been 
gradually building, you know, over a few years. And then there, you know, we see there's an opportunity to really accelerate this. And then there will be some that probably look a little different. Like, as you say, maybe moving into retail earlier may have, uh, you know, really unique opportunity for a retail partnership. And and, and that's okay. Um, but I think that, like, for us as investors, we are um, – we're just always very, very focused on like, what does this look like over the long term, you know, and ensuring that if you do get that early retail opportunity, um, that that's not just going to fizzle out, right? Like that there, you have a way to really build on that and to ensure that, you know, this is like a high quality long-term growth story. When you think about larger trends, um, Tina, like we were talking about like makeup's back, skincare is slowing, you know, hair care, there's a lot of hair care exits right now. How focused are you? on those trends or even say digital trends like everybody's selling on Amazon, nobody's selling on Amazon. Like what are you thinking about those broader stories that we keep hearing about in beauty? So I am not particularly focused on it. So I think that those are probably a lot more relevant for later stage investors where they're, you know, they might be targeting an exit in a couple of years. And so they're really focused on like near term trends. For me, um, I think, you know, I would I would challenge us to to think way beyond that, right? Because as early stage investors, we're talking like a, a, a five to seven year time horizon. So we, we really need to be thinking bigger and more broadly about what is next. So let me give you an example of that. Um, when I first started investing in clean beauty, like, you know, Kozas and Say and Volition, friends of mine who worked in PE said to me, Tina, I don't know. You know, is I don't know if this is going to be a thing. Or also, who's going to buy all these companies? I mean, you know, I, 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 I just can't see Lauder or L'Oreal buying more than one of these brands. And so, where are all these brands going to go? And I said, I think that is um, a you know a, an old fashioned way about of thinking about the industry. Because if we look out to the future, and we're already seeing this, there are a number of new conglomerates, buyers, aggregators for these types of businesses. Now, of course, the Lauders and L'Oreal's and P&G's of the world will always be hugely important acquirers for fast-growing um, uh, beauty brands. However, we're already seeing, you know, a, a number of different players emerge there. And, and from my perspective, like that was a really important part of my investment thesis going back five years, right? Like I'm not going to be constrained by what does the landscape look like now? I'm thinking about what does the landscape look like in five to 10 years? And it was so clear to me that there were going to be, um, that there will ultimately be consolidation and that the landscape of potential consolidators is going to expand dramatically versus, um, you know, versus what it was at like a, a static point in time. Hey, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at all the people like who've been buyers recently, you know, exactly. Buyers equity firms, mm -hmm. Byersdorf buying, uh, right. Shantikai, Clarence buying, Ilya, all these private equity firms. I mean, there are more people. It, the the exit opportunities are not just Cody Lauder. Unilever. Exactly. Exactly. And like, from my perspective, I always pushed back on this. Like, I remember having so many debates about this with like PE friends. It's like, 
are you really telling me that if a, that if I invest in a brand that's ultimately doing like more than $25 million in sales, has strong retention, has strong loyalty, strong consumer engagement, are you really telling me that there's no buyer for that? I don't believe it, right? Impossible. And so I, I like look through that lens of like, don't be stuck in like, what are things like today? What's now, right? As an early stage investor, we really have to be pushing ourselves to think about like, what's next? Where is the consumer going? Where is the industry going? You know, where are platforms going? Like all these things. And so, and that, not to suggest that I'm always right, I'm wrong all the time, but we have to keep that like open mind, right? Big thinking about like what is possible. What do you think about Gen Z, Tina? Which is, I think, is a question that all of us are trying to figure out who are not Gen Z. You know, how important they are to the overall beauty landscape. Obviously, they are going to be the next future purchasers for a very long time. But when you think about TikTok, is TikTok the, you know, I, I feel like in some way these brands that are having finding favor on TikTok, is it kind of just a repeat of what we saw with the Instagram moment, the Instagram brands or the DDC brands? Like it's just something new, you know, is it necessarily something long lasting? Right. So I am for sure fascinated by Gen Z. I I am inspired by Gen Z in the way that um, they think about um, values and, you know, things like sustainability and like openness around stigmatized issues like mental health or, you know, or period health, for example. I'll, I'll tell you in a second about a company that we're invested in called August um, that is a Gen Z period products brand and, and how they've how they've been just so so radically um, um, open in, in the way that they've built the business. But um, come back to that in a second. But I think that it is, um, I believe that they will have a tremendous impact on um, on the beauty space for sure. And we're probably like just at the beginning of that. Now, your question around like TikTok um, as, you know, a, as a, another platform, like all our early days of Facebook, and that that probably is true, right? Like you you have in the beginning, you know, it's cheaper, you can hack it, right? They're ever trying to go viral. And like eventually that over time that will get bit up, right? And it will become more programmatic and more formalized and you'll have more, you know, um, uh, um, right, right now it's kind of wild west, right? And so I do think that you're right as a, you know, as a platform, um, that it'll, that will probably over time start to, you know, look more like, um, a Facebook, Instagram. But, um, I think though that like the way that Gen Z founders, for example, are using TikTok is, is fascinating. So to, to come back to this company, August, so, um, we're investors in in um, August, which is a, a Gen Z focused period products brand, and the founders they are you know both Gen Zs themselves. And um, Nadia, um, the CEO and co founder, she has been an activist in the period space for years since she was in high school. She started a nonprofit focused on period equity. She wrote a book about it, and then now she and her business partner Nick um, have started August and. Nadia is herself a um, in, uh, incredibly powerful TikTok creator. So she has like I think close to three million followers on TikTok at this point, point. Um, and you know makes like I think forty or fifty TikTok talks a day or something like that, right? And you know and is just driving this huge, huge audience and engagement. And they have 
opened the conversation around periods in a way that no brand has done. Um, and and it, it's it's so powerful, you know, the way that they're speaking um, to, to their community. And so I think that, like, you're right that, like, TikTok is an enabler of that, right? Like, it's a platform where you're able to get on it and, like, build a community fast and potentially, you know, go viral. And, and that won't be, um, that won't last indefinitely, right? Um, but nonetheless, going back to these, like, core Gen Z values and openness and authenticity, like, I do think that that's a really, really powerful thing. You see it in, like, imagery also, right? Like, I've, I've always been fascinated by, like, aesthetics and how aesthetics reflect like popular culture. And it's so interesting to me, you know, over the past couple of years, like, like, you know, the euphoria makeup, right. Or just these, like, it's, it's just fascinating, right. There's really, there is so much more of a, um, I think there's just a shift in like, what's cool, what's now, what's of the moment that, um, Gen Z in particular has really been driving. Tina, this may sound like a silly last question to end with, but you know, I'm wondering, you know, there are so few, beauty investors who are women and who love this space and understand this space. And even in the C-suite of many of these companies, big companies that are purchasers of these products, I'm wondering how much of that is a unlock for both you and the brands that you invest in. Because I imagine, you know, people are calling you all the time anyway, but the fact that you are a purchaser, you are a lover of this category and use this category, you're not somebody's, you know, wife or girlfriend or daughter, you know, you're, you're, you are those things, but you are first person doing this yourself. How much of that do you think that that is important as we look to the next generation of brands and we look to the investor and brand relationship? It is, I think it's critically important. So to me, I mean, Priya, don't you think it's like bonkers that there aren't more women beauty investors and more women beauty executives, right? And all the things that you're saying, because like from my vantage point, I look at the space at the early stage and I am blown away every day by the amazing female founders in the space. And so then I, you think to yourself like, well, what's happening at the other end, right? At, you know, at the executive level, at the investor level. And so I think it is, this is like such an important topic and something that I, you know, am, am like obsessed with working on because I feel like being a woman investor is a huge competitive advantage in our space. And it's surprising to me that that, you know, more of the like historically dominant investors in this space haven't, um, uh, you know, leaned into this more, right? But as we all know, like with power structures, no one likes to give up power, right? And so there you got to, you have to take it. Um, and so this is something that like I, you know, I am passionate about. And I, um, you know, I am fortunate to be part of a community of other women investors in the consumer space, you know, who all do beauty to some degree. And they're amazing. They're, you know, an extraordinary group. And like, I, I, I feel like it is, um, it is, this is like the next wave. Right. And, you know, it, 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 it and, and so, um, I, I think you're, you're, you're spot on to ask that. And I, you know, I'm very optimistic that the, the industry will start to, um, look, you know, different in the, in the, in the years to come. Let's hope. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here, Tina. It was so great seeing you and talking to you. And I can't wait to hear more about the fund and, and how it expands over the next year. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. 
please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.